Hey, and welcome to Seven Days, Seven Stories, a masterclass on why we as women hate our bodies so much, about the stories that we've absorbed that have gotten us here, and the stories that can help dig us out. I'm Jillian Murphy, creator of the Food Freedom Body Love Method, and I'm so excited you're here as we spend seven days going from diet culture, the thin ideal, and one kind of beauty to a place of freedom and shift and change. Let's get going. Hello, we are on day seven, last day of seven days, seven stories, a masterclass on body image, where we've been exploring stories and using story to deepen our understanding of where we've gotten our beliefs about our bodies, beauty, weight, and health, how we've internalized those beliefs in a really deep way, and the untangling, stripping away process that needs to ha- that needs to precede the reclamation or the rewriting of the story. Today we are going to finish the journey on the road back. The road back in storytelling refers to the return to the ordinary world. When we take the information that we've gathered, when we've stripped away the old stories, when we've begun to rewrite a new story for ourselves to transform and then we need to return to the ordinary world as a new person. But the road back is not always easy and the challenges aren't done yet. So let's talk about it. The road back. Okay, so let's talk about the hero's journey. The hero's journey, most famously described by Joseph Campbell, is the storyline of all storylines. It runs through every story of adventure and victory you've ever heard, from Disney movies to Star Wars to stories of Buddha, Moses, or Christ. It's the story of one person, usually a man, we could get into that another day, a hero who goes on an adventure and in a decisive crisis wins a victory and then comes home changed or transformed. In this hero's journey, or Shiro's journey, but again, we can talk about that another day, you are the hero, and you have been traveling through these seven days on a journey, unknowingly moving through each of the stages, all of the bits of the hero's journey. Let me explain. You start out in the ordinary world, living your life like you're living your life, and the thing is, is that you don't know what you don't know. And so you tend to be fairly happy, even if things aren't going exactly the way you want. You know, you're kind of just moving along, going with the tides of the culture. And then there's what we call the call to adventure. This is the moment where you start to realize that there's something happening in your life that you don't love. And you usually figure that out when there's a little bit of information planted. You hear something, you sense something, you feel something. Maybe you saw a piece that I wrote or a friend recommended you start following me on Instagram. And all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, I could be living my life differently. Things could be different. But then there's typically the refusal of the call. Like, no, 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 no. I'm good. 
I'm fine. I'm all good. When people finally accept the call, they've typ- they're typically at the point where they have met their mentor. And again, that's when you sort of said, yeah, I think I want to sign on for this seven days, seven stories thing. I think Jill might be someone who can help me. And we basically hold hands and we cross the threshold into the unknown. In typical storytelling, this could be the hero going out into the deep, dark woods or the big, wide ocean or the jungle or an alien planet. When we cross over into the unknown, we tend to be in what's mythically known as the underworld. It's the unknown. It's scary. You don't know what you're doing. The one thing that you start to be able to recognize, though, is that you don't know or sorry, you know what you don't know now, and it can feel really overwhelming. This is like the first few days of the course, and in the hero's journey, it's often referred to as the belly of the whale. It's like you begin to see like, whoa, there are all these things that I don't know. There are all these things that have been working on me that I haven't been aware of, and it can feel overwhelming, and it can feel enraging or angering, and that's all perfectly normal. And then you continue along the road of trials. This is where we meet allies, enemies, and tests. This is when your objections come up, when we dig into how we've internalized the story, when we start to come up with tools or tricks which become our allies for coping with this journey. And then we descend into the inmost cave. And this was the episode where we were really stripping away old stories, where we talked about Vasilisa getting back to trusting and listening to your intuition above all else, trusting that you are the expert on you, that you know how to separate this from that. You know what the right path is and what the truth is for you. And then there is the death of the old you. And again, let's be real. We've been cruising through this over seven days. I typically work with women to get to this point, the death of the old them, the death of the old beliefs, you know, over six months, right? It's okay to have been sort of cruising through this and getting an overview. And it's perfectly okay and normal to have to go back and work through all of these steps over a period of months. But there is the moment the story of Inanna, the death of the old you, the revelation of how you want to live and the rebirth of a new you. And it feels like that should be it. (laughs) It feels like, yeah, I've done it. You know, I've gathered the information. I've, I've, I've met my enemies. I've taken the tests. I've passed. I've, you know, I've, I've made allies. I've developed tools and new stories I've let the old me with the old beliefs die and I've been reborn and I'm transformed and I'm new and I'm different and I see the world differently. But now you're on the road back and the return to the ordinary world, taking the lessons, taking the transformation and returning to the ordinary world, you know, it feels like it should be easy, but it often isn't that easy. The road back is often the point where when the hero has not resolved all of her issues with the conquered villain or the shadow, or in this case, the desire for weight loss and diet culture, it tends to rear its head again and come after her with a vengeance. So 
I have so many women that go through my programs and we talk a lot about the process of transformation and we talk a lot about the fact that the programs I run are designed to help women get to the point of revelation and rebirth. But the road back and a full return is a process that takes years after the rebirth and the revelation. And during that time, Your old neuroses, flaws, habits, desires, addictions that have challenged you for ages, possibly for most of your life, tend to rebound. They tend to come back in a last ditch effort or a desperate attack before they can be conquered forever. And this is a period where women tend to require a lot of support. This is when I hear women say, you know, they'll email me a month or two after the program and say, the magic is gone. You know, I'm back to square one. I'm right back where I was. And they're not. They're not right back where they were. They are transformed. They see the world differently. And yet, their old habits and neuroses want to rear their heads. They need to be challenged. They need to be conquered over and over and over again to help the transformation complete, to help the return complete. And what's especially hard about this hero's journey is that unlike other journeys where the victory is had and you go back to the ordinary world and the ordinary world is welcoming you with open arms and celebrating you and clapping for you and cheering for your victory. When you leave diet culture, you return to diet culture. And so there are many people around you who aren't cheering for you you know, who aren't celebrating your big transformation. In fact, they might openly, outwardly (laughs) disagree with your transformation. And the majority of people around you, even if they're not fully disagreeing with you, are still living in diet culture. And so I often liken it to leaving a cult. But the problem is that if you were to leave an actual, you know, religious doomsday-ish cult, You know, when you came to the open world or to the outside world, when you returned to, you know, quote unquote, civilized humanity, whatever that means these days, I'm not sure. But when you returned to a civilized world, people would welcome you with open arms and they would support you and empathize with you and confirm that you had gone through something difficult and help you heal. But when we return from the cult of diet culture, we're just met with more diet culture. And so you have to really be strong on the return, strong on the road back. I want to read to you a piece that I wrote called Trying to Leave the Cult of Weight Loss and why it's so much harder to leave than an actual cult. And then we're going to talk more about the road back. Diet culture is a cult. We get lured in by the promise of weight loss and the better, easier, more incredible life that comes with it, and then we stay stuck. Our bodies deprived and abused. Our food restricted and moralized. We are taught that we can never be trusted on our own. We require constant, militant guidelines and external input. We think we're making decisions, but really we're making the same decision over and over and over again. Follow the plan, follow the rules to lose the weight. 
And life never gets better or easier or more incredible from following food plans or daily weigh-ins, but we're so brainwashed into believing that this is the goal that we never question the process or the purpose. We think that if the promised results aren't coming, we need to work harder at it. We need to devote ourselves more, more intently. We need to sacrifice more. The similarities between regular old everyday cult characteristics and those of the diet cult we live in are frightening. Don't believe me? Here is a summary of cult characteristics by Jana Lalich and Michael Langone. Jana is one of the world's foremost experts on cults and cultic behavior and the author of Take Back Your Life, Recovering from Cults and Abusive Relationships, followed by my take on twinning diet culture characteristics. The first characteristic of a cult. The group displays excessively zealous and unquestioning commitment to its leader and regards his belief system, ideology, and practices as truth, as law. Diet culture. In this case, the leader is weight loss. I have yet to encounter a woman who has not absorbed and potentially committed herself completely to the law that being fat is one of the worst things a woman can be, and if she gains weight, she must get it under control. The law states that a leaner body is the right kind of body. It is, without a doubt, healthier and more desirable within the cult. Weight loss becomes the leader, the tyrannical dictator of all daily activities, from how a woman eats and moves her body, to what supplements she takes, whether or not she has sex, if she's allowed to have fun, wear stylish clothing, eat in public, and if she can be considered successful. Ultimately, the leader of weight loss is always in control cult characteristic. Questioning doubt and dissent are discouraged or even punished. Diet culture. Have you ever been on an anti have you even been on an anti-diet body acceptance social platform lately? The rage that is triggered by those who dare doubt the leader weight loss is incredible. From the book Fatso by fat activist Marilyn Wan, which I've actually read to you guys already, on talking about how she is 270 pounds and healthy on the radio. The minute I say I'm not trying to lose weight, that I have no interest in losing weight, the response of the average American talk radio caller is to attack me vigorously and insist that despite all of my healthy habits, I am going to die, preferably sooner rather than later. Perhaps these angry people don't really believe that you can't be fat and healthy. They just believe deeply, self-righteously, that you cannot be fat and get away with it. The very idea of me, a fat chick, enjoying life and getting away with it, sends them into attack mode. Cult characteristic. Mind-altering practices such as meditation, chanting, speaking in tongues, denunciation sessions, or debilitating work routines are used in excess and serve to suppress doubts about the group and its leaders. Diet culture. Read the Minnesota Starvation Experiment. Read about the psychology of deprivation on 1,200 calories a day and tell me that dieting isn't mind-altering, that it doesn't affect the thought process and behavior of women engaged in cutting calories in food groups, not to mention what happens when you throw in some punishing exercise. Cult characteristics. The leadership dictates, sometimes in great detail, how members should think, act, and feel. Diet culture. When it comes to weight loss, there is always a leading expert and a detailed plan, whether it's South Beach or the Whole30 
or meditate yourself thin, women are prescribed explicit directives on how they should feel every day of the plan and how to best override feelings of discomfort and doubt. Cult characteristic. The group is elitist, claiming a special exalted status for itself, its leaders, and its members. The group has a polarized us versus them mentality, which may cause conflict with the wider society. Diet culture. Um, I'm a bit embarrassed to say that I, as a naturopath, participated in a number of educational courses on how to go paleo or get a four-hour body or detox with slimming down as a side goal. And while yes, there are potentially health benefits to some of those things, if and only if weight loss is taken off the table, there was without a doubt an us versus them mentality that is 100% unhealthy. A superior, if you eat a certain way and or live a certain way message that I was uncomfortable with, but couldn't quite define. I saw this over and over again in my naturopathic practice, whether the patient was vegan or gluten-free or a fruititarian, eating a certain way wasn't just an, I feel better thing. It was an, I am better thing. Cult characteristic. The leader is not accountable to any authorities. Diet culture. When it comes to diets, the experts use shoddy research to support their weight loss claims, despite there being not one single piece of evidence that weight loss plans work for any but the smallest percentage of people long term. If dieting programs had to stand up to the same scrutiny as medications, they would never be allowed for public consumption. Triboli and Rush. And in this case, the authorities are often in on the reporting of shoddy evidence, like that time the CDC invented an obesity epidemic or when the NIH inappropriately changed BMI standards, despite overwhelming evidence that suggested the opposite. Who's in charge here? Who's monitoring the collateral damage? Cult characteristic. The group teaches or implies that it is supposedly that it's supposedly exalted ends justify whatever means it deems necessary. Diet culture. Eat a lestra. Who cares about the ungodly gas pain and anal leakage? You'll be skinny and unendingly admired when you get there. Take the amphetamine pills. What? You're addicted and having heart palpitations and hallucinations? Oh, well, you're thin. Be thankful. Have the gastric bypass surgery. No one cares if you'll likely be malnourished for the rest of your life and at an increased risk of dumping, otherwise known as pooping your pants, and death because you will lose weight, at least for a little while. Cult characteristic. The leadership induces feelings of shame and or guilt in order to influence and control members. Often this is done through peer pressure and subtle forms of persuasion. Despite the fact that the evidence tells us that only 5% of people will actually succeed at weight loss long-term, what happens when a diet plan falls apart, when a woman can't lose weight, when she can't stick with it? I'll tell you what happens. She feels like the failure. She feels shame. She feels like she can't get it right, and there must be something wrong with her. How is that even possible? I'll tell you how. Subtle, constant, lifelong persuasion. We're almost done here cult characteristic. Subservience to the leader or group requires members to cut ties with family members and friends and radically alter the personal goals and activities they had before joining the group. What is most apparent in women who have dedicated themselves to the leader of weight loss is this. They want to lose weight because the leader promises that when they do, they will have more fun and make more money 
and be more loved and life will be infinitely easier. Life in a thin body is portrayed as one long bulletproof coffee and avocado toast filled morning in yoga pants, bleeding perfectly into a well-styled sugar-free cocktail hour, followed by a perfectly constructed salad plus palm-sized protein. You'll have the perfect job and children that never argue, and you'll get to wear a romper with pockets every day, while cash and hot potential partners rain down. It's a story of ease, confidence, socializing, and sparkle. And yet, those trying to lose weight often avoid social events, hide from romantic relationships, avoid shopping or dressing their bodies well, and put off life goals and dreams until they lose the weight. All the things they hope to get in life via weight loss are mercilessly cut off by the pursuit of weight loss. Cult characteristic, the group is preoccupied with bringing in new members. The group is preoccupied with making money. Diet culture, I mean, come on. Sell books, sell shakes, sell plans. Make money, money, make money, money, make. Cult characteristic, members are expected to vote to devote inordinate amounts of time to the group and group-related activities. Diet culture. The number one complaint I hear from women who are ready to escape diet culture, they're exhausted. They can no longer conjure up the energy or time required to continue to pursue weight loss. And here is the one striking difference I see between leaving a cult and leaving diet culture. While the definition of cult is somewhat unclear and controversial, there is a widely accepted understanding that a cult is a group with socially deviant or novel beliefs and practices. But diet and weight loss thoughts and ideals are not considered socially deviant by the masses, nor are they novel in our culture. They are the norm. If you were to escape a cult, you'd be free. You'd begin to heal and recover and reclaim your life, and most of the people around you would be supportive. They'd be appalled by what you had to endure, enraged even. You'd receive confirmation that what you went through was traumatic and immoral, and that by walking out on your cult community, you were doing the right thing, the thing that is best for you. Bonus, you might even get to go on Oprah, but not if you leave diet culture. Oh no, when you leave diet culture, not only is O not interested in an interview, but the next thing you know, she's selling you and your teen daughter the newest diet disguised as health. When women are finally able to see diet culture for what it is and walk out of it, they are not often met with applause or even compassionate understanding. Instead, what they find is that to their horror... The world we live in is the cult. And while they've walked out, everyone around them is still resolutely bought in. Their school system is the cult. Their doctor's office is the cult. Their gym is the cult. Their grocery store line and coffee shop and favorite television shows and fiction books. They are all the cult. And instead of feeling like they're finally free, women realize that they will never be fully free that they are going to need to cultivate their own freedom daily while enduring side-eye from their sister-in-law and comments from well-intentioned acquaintances and strangers that love to give free advice on all the ways you could and should buy back in. It's worth it though, because the best thing about leaving this cult is that you reclaim personal power. You make the statement that you will no longer participate in your own abuse, in your own oppression, And that is the moment that life gets infinitely better, easier, and more incredible. So this is the challenge of the road back. 
the return to the ordinary world. It's not that you haven't transformed. It's not that you don't want to live differently. It's not that you don't know how to live differently. But your old habits, old neuroses, old addictions, they want to pop back up. And when you return to the ordinary world, you're going to get confirmation that you should buy back in, that you should dive back down that rabbit hole. So what are you going to do? What you need to do is you need to create a safe space for yourself, a community of women that have also transformed, who are also on the road back, who are also deepening into the final stages of the hero's journey, which is the love warrior, when the story is fully integrated, when it is solidly set in your bones and you no longer have to think about it or worry about your new transformation being shattered by someone from the outside. And this is why I created the Food Freedom Body Love Collective, because a body, a positive body image isn't a single aha moment. It isn't something you get right. It's an ongoing process of owning and defining beauty for yourself in a culture that wants to make you feel like you're all wrong. The Food Freedom Body Love Collective Collective is a space to feel inspired, to learn, to share, and to be supported in your efforts to love the skin you're in, eat intuitively, and pursue health in a flexible, authentic way. The Food Freedom Body Love Collective is a membership program I am launching. It will start on April 16th at the new moon. And it is a monthly membership program where I will give you the tools, strategy, support, and community you need to live life beautifully and healthfully in the body you're in. It will be the thing, the place, the space, the support you need on the road back. When you join, here's what you get. Every month, we're going to have a monthly theme focused on intuitive eating, body image, health, and beauty, always from a non-diet, health at every size, completely holistic perspective. You'll get connection. I will lead weekly video conversations or audio conversations exploring our theme. It'll be short, juicy, inspiring, and, and fun. Always fun. You'll look forward to tuning in every Monday morning as an amazing way to kick off your week. You'll have accountability Simple, clear emails sent right to your inbox every Monday, checking in and leading you to pertinent content for the week. There'll often be a meditation or a visualization, optional homework to help deepen the work. And for those interested, a health focus, small cumulative steps you can take towards your health for the month related to our theme. And again, these suggestions will always be non-diet related and health at every size based. This is stuff you just can't find anywhere else. And then once a month, I'll do a live Q&A where you'll have the opportunity to pick my brain and get some live coaching with whatever's going on with you. The collective is the counter narrative to the ongoing, merciless, aggressive voice of doubt so many women hear in their heads every day. Our monthly themes are going to be radiant body glowing from the inside out, intuitive eating, intuitive everything, letting intuition lead the way in eating and life, beauty redefined, discovering and cultivating your own brand of beauty, story, how our beliefs and stories shape our health and bodies, pleasure, awareness, and metabolism, the missing links, the sacred, 
the power of beautiful, simple routine and ritual. At home, feeling at home in our bodies, in the kitchen, in our houses. Appreciation and desire, the ultimate source of energy. Seasonal shifting, nourishing our bodies and souls through the seasons. And celebrate, a celebration of all we've accomplished, an integration of the tools, and setting intentions for the season and the new year. Each month we'll dive deep into one of those topics. And just one last thing. So many, so many women ask, how much time is this going to take me? And I just want you to rest assured. The collective is a conversation and a fire starter, not an obligation. There's no curriculum. So you needn't worry about falling behind or not having enough time. You can jump in and out, let the conversation guide you when you need it and go inward when you don't. Most of all, this is about fun. It's about having a space where you can live in full acceptance of your body and still pursue health and beauty and a, an amazing life. So I'll help you ha- you'll head over to my website, www.foodfreedombodylove.com and check out the collective. I'm going to open the cart for this group, the seven days, seven stories group with a special price for now until the end of December into January. I hope you'll join me. I hope you'll hop on board. I hope you will, whether you've done my programs and you just need help on the road back or you haven't done my programs, but you want to dive into this work. I hope you'll join and spend the next six or seven months of 2018, you know, really deepening into body acceptance, body love, and intuitive eating. That's it. Thank you, thank you, thank you for joining me for these seven days. As I just mentioned, the cart for the Food Freedom Body Love Collective is open. It will be open for about two, two and a half weeks. And those who've partaken in this masterclass are getting a special price. I'll make sure that there are links. I mean, I'm working on it right now. I'm hopeful that everything will be all good by the time this airs and that the links will be posted and you can hop in and join this community of like-minded, body-positive, anti-diet women who are, you know, changing our own lives, but really changing the face of the culture as well. That's all for me. I hope to come into contact with you soon. Thank you again. Jill.